Let's open our Bibles to, where Paul read earlier for us, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Some of these verses we've already gone through, but I'm going to approach it from a little bit of a different perspective this morning. What a study Gary Caw gave last Sunday morning, huh? That was off the charts. Um, the theme of the conference, of course, was at the door. Uh, taken from the scriptures that the hour is, is so late, literally that Jesus is at the door and really could come as um, Jeff Swall from Madison teaching on the rapture, you know, said, you know, it could happen before the study's over and that's just fine with me, Mother's Day or not. <laughs> um, but the main point, of course, was to encourage you to get the gospel out to loved ones, friends, co-workers, uh, because of the lateness of the hour. <clears throat> Bear with me, the allergies got my throat. <laughs> uh, this could be accomplished by one-on-one witnessing, which is gonna be a part of our study this morning, why some people don't do it, and why some people are uh, more gifted at it, let's say. Um, We have tools that we like to use, not just one-on-one witnessing, um, but in your bulletin you have the Romans Road. I encourage you to take it home with you today and give it to somebody this week. And um, we just ordered 500 more copies of God of Wonders, uh, the ones that we had last week. Um, We're gone in 10 minutes so we ordered 500 more, and um, they'll be here on Monday. But this morning, we will look at the reality of witnessing, uh, the people God uses, and the necessity of the Holy Spirit in witnessing. The title of uh, the message this morning is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And uh, we'll be making a, a big point on that. Just a little background, because it's been a while since we've been in Corinthians. Uh, remember that Corinth was the wealthiest um, town, city, um, in Paul's day. It had these two ports. I may mention there were 700,000 people that lived there. Two-thirds of them were, were slaves. Um, and there was a handful of people that Paul was ministering to dealing with this issue of having to write this very harsh letter to the Corinthian church because there was a guy in the church who was sleeping around and everybody knew about it and nobody was doing nothing about it. Paul heard about it and he says, look, even though I'm not there, you take the guy and you kick him out uh, so that his soul would be saved. Did you catch that last part? He was going to church Um, Paul said the most loving thing that you can do for this guy is let him know that he's not saved. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, if you're taking notes, says, don't be deceived, these people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's a list there, and fornication and adultery are part of the two. Now, this would be at an ongoing level. I'm not talking like uh, what King David did with Bathsheba, because he took him a while, but he repented. And the Lord restored him to his position. That was not the case in Corinth. This was an ongoing affair that everybody knew about. And then he quotes that famous scripture, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't don't you realize that this is affecting the whole church, so deal with it. So this is the context that there were still some in Corinth, just a handful, Titus went there, brought back the good report that they received your admonition to deal with the matter. And um, they kicked him out. Well, the good news is the guy eventually repented. And now Paul had to write another letter, said, I want you to bring him back into fellowship and don't treat him (laughs) like a second-class Christian, but love on him even all the more. Uh, He's probably beaten himself up over what he did. So you make sure that you welcome him back. 
and you make sure that you love Adam good and don't treat him differently than anybody else. Having said that, there was a group, uh, I think it had a lot to do with the prosperity that went along with the Corinthians. Um, I think with the prosperity came an attitude of Paul, who in the world do you think you are telling us what to do? So there was still this group of people. So as we look where Paul read for us earlier, um, Paul is answering the charge of cowardness. He's going to answer it. And he does so by having to show that the Lord has given him authority as an apostle to deal with this issue. So we pick it up here. I'm going to stop at verse 7. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then he says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Now this is one of the problems that they had with Paul. They looked at Paul, and we'll get into uh, what they thought about how Paul looked. Um, If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about, and this is important, our authority. Paul says, I have authority as an apostle to be speaking to you in this manner. But it goes on to say, which the Lord gave us. So the authority that Paul had was given directly to him as an apostle, um, and the Lord is the one, we're going to read a little bit later, that the disciples picked out the one who was supposed to take Judas's place. They got it wrong. The one that the Lord picked out is the apostle Paul, 12 apostles. Um, so the Lord gave us for edification and for your destruction I shall not be ashamed lest I seem to terrify you by letters. All right, let's look at verse seven here. Paul's outward appearance. And we read in verse 10, it was not only that, uh, but their attitude was, well, his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech contemptible. So here's the two main things that they didn't like about Paul. His bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Um, He didn't look right as far as they were concerned and he didn't speak right and they certainly didn't like the fact that he was taking authority and telling them what to do and how to do it. Now, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter three. So evidently Paul didn't look very religious to them, but I want to go to Philippians and point out something about Paul. And and, um, we pick it up in verse five, chapter three. Paul said he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. So hold that thought. Now concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which is from God by faith. Go back to verse five where he says he was Jewish, Hebrew of the Hebrews, but that he was a Pharisee. Okay, a Pharisee wore robes. Uh, How do you know that, Dwight? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Some churches, if you go to a lot of churches, um, you can tell who the pastor is. You know why? Because he has a white collar on here. And uh, he'll have a robe on. And he's the only guy in church who has a collar on and a robe. And you know that that guy's the pastor. Well, Pharisees, looking at verses um, 27 and 28, Paul is... um, I mean, the Lord himself is um, really coming down hard on the scribes and the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. And 23, woe to you. 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm interested in 27 and 28. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. Well, how could you be looking righteous outwardly? Well, the fact that Pharisees wore a robe. Matter of fact, if you were walking down the streets of Jerusalem and your robe would come out a little bit and brush against a Gentile, you had to go and um, be undefiled by taking a special bath because you were defiled because your robe touched a Gentile. That's how hypocritical they were. So this outward appearance here um, appears to be righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm basically saying Paul took off his robe so that when people looked at him, the Corinthians, the ones that were giving him a hard time, they go, you don't look religious to us. Not only do you, your speech is contemptible. So you don't only look right, you don't only speak right either. A lot of the study this morning is going to be about witnessing and the ability and what the word says about witnessing. And some of us are thinking right now, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again, where it tells us in verse 10, again, his speech is contemptible. Go to chapter 11 and look at um, verse 6. He says, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. So let's just get an outward picture of the Apostle Paul. He didn't look right. Some say he was short and that he had a high squeaky voice. And here he's talking about being untrained in speech. And as they looked at the outward appearance, that's why in verse seven it says, do not look at the outward appearance according to the flesh. Um, Paul did not look right and he didn't speak right. So to those who may feel inadequate in your speaking, um, I'm just not a good speaker. And that's just the way it is with me. As a matter of fact, um, they say next to death, one of the greatest fears in life is what? Public speaking, to speak in public is um, one of the things I'll give a personal example of myself in just a minute here. But I want to give you a couple Old Testament examples of people like God used that you're going to be surprised about. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 1. And here we have the calling of the prophet Jeremiah. And we read in verse 6, Well, I'll get sidetracked here in verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nation. We need to pray for what's going on with our Supreme Court right now. 
Amen? We get, they're, stand, they're making a stand. But, I mean, um, they're doing everything in their power to, to get Antifa back involved, um, Black Lives Matter crowd, just to stir things up, just to get everybody riled up. And they're going to they're gonna fight this to the end, so we really need to pray for them. One of the big arguments is when does life begin? Some say at conception. Some say when the heart begins to beat. Some say when it's actually out of the womb. I say it starts before conception. Where do you get that, Dwight? Oh, I just read it to you right here. God knew you before you were formed and um, fashioned the days appointed before you. So when does life begin? Whenever the Lord put you in his heart and he knew you. And then he said, so he's getting a calling now. He said, oh, Lord God, but I can't speak for I'm a youth. I'm no good at this stuff. And uh, you want to use me as your prophet? Sorry, I'm not any good at it. I just cannot speak. All right, let's go back to um, the book of Exodus, looking at chapter four. Exodus chapter four, looking at verse 10. And we have the calling of Moses. And when the Lord called Moses, the Lord said, then Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before you since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Everybody here remembers the Ten Commandments? Remember Charlton Heston standing getting ready to depart the Red Sea? And he goes, Behold the mighty hand of the Lord. Everybody with me on that one? That was, that was Charlton Heston. That was not Moses. It was probably like um, water part right now, please. That's, that would be more accurate biblically than what you're watching uh, with, with the Ten Commandments and Sesame de Mills. But uh, here we have one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Now, I've entitled this this morning. I want you to go to the book of Zechariah towards the end of the Old Testament, looking at chapter four. And I wanted to explain where we got the title. This is a pivotal voice for the Calvary Chapel movement that Chuck was always quoting, always making mention of. But I'm gonna also do a little sidetrack here with it because I like tying Old Testament prophecies and where they're fulfilled, whether it's in the New Testament or in the Old. If you look at verse six, it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not about your outward appearance. It's not about your graciousness in speech. It's not anything about you, but it's by my spirit that the work will get done. Another good place for an amen. Okay, but what I want you to see where this, who is he talking about in the first five verses, and then he uses this particular verse here. So, verse one of chapter four says, now the angel who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. All right, you have that? A lampstand has seven branches on it. But then uh, we have um, pipes that were running directly into it. The two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bowl and the other at the, the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these? And then he answered and talked with me and said, do you not know what these are? 
And I said, no, my Lord. And then comes the verse where it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let me give you a picture of what's going on here. Um, In the temple, you would have had the candlesticks. Now, John the, the Baptist's father, there was a rotation in working in the temple. And one of the jobs was um, keeping the incense going, um, keeping bread, the bread out, but also on a daily basis they had to refill um, with olive oil the lamp so that they would stay lit. So this was a daily job. So what do we have here? We have an olive tree going into the slab stand and the idea is there's a continuing flow that it doesn't ever need to be filled because it's automatically being filled. That's what he's seeing. And he's liking in it to these two olive branches. All right, now turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And I want you to see the, the fulfillment And the reason I'm pointing it out is one day Jesus told his disciples that they were going to see the kingdom of heaven. And so he he took three of them to what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And there the Lord was glorified. And all of a sudden, who shows up? Moses and Elijah. And Peter's all freaked out and he doesn't know what to do or what to say. And so he, that never stopped Peter from saying anything, so he just went on and said it anyway. And he said, oh, this is great. Let's build three tabernacles here, one for you, Lord, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And in mid-sentence, the Father speaks from heaven. And um, he said, this, pointing to Jesus, this is my beloved son. He's the one that you worship. Hear him. Well, my point with all that is God took this man of slow speech and the last four verses of the Old Testament says, I'm gonna send you Elijah, the prophet, before that great and terrible day of the Lord and of Old Testament. So that's how the Old Testament ends, saying that he's gonna send Elijah. As you look at Revelation 11, In verse three, it says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's three and a half years. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. Well, this is a fulfillment of what we read in Zechariah. And it's being fulfilled at the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Well, who are these guys? Well, look what, what they do. If anybody wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in like manner. They have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Well, what did Elijah do to Ahab? He says, um, you're not gonna see it rain until I say so. Um, Showing his authority as a prophet. That's what Elijah did. And we, we read in James that Elijah was an ordinary man. But when he prayed, it did not rain, and it says for three and a half years. So you read something like this, and you know, first time people looking at the book of Revelation they go, you really believe that it's not going to rain for three and a half years? Has that ever happened before? Answer, yes. Matter of fact, it was the same guy. Matter of fact, it was for the same amount of time. Uh, who's the other guy? And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. Well, who does that sound like? It sounds like Moses. I think there was a staff meeting that took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in that staff meeting, somehow they're talking about what their ministry is actually going to be. So we have um, God took this slow of speech man who wasn't very eloquent like Paul 
um, filled him with his spirit and gave him Elijah. Uh, And this is happening uh, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then they will be killed. Now, in the Old Testament, God always left a witness of who he was. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it's who? It's you and I. We're the salt of the earth and the the light of the earth, and uh, we're called to be witnesses for Christ. But that's gonna come to an end. And all of a sudden, the Lord's gonna take us, hopefully before the study's over. (laughs) It's called the rapture. That was Jeff's session. Immediately after the rapture, God is still gonna have a witness. We read here that their ministry was for 1,260 days. This is at the beginning of the um, tribulation period. And they witnessed through these mighty signs and wonders. So during the first three and a half years, God still has a witness. But then it says, when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit made war against them and overcame them. No more witness. What do you do now? Turn to chapter 14, verse 6, and we read, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now he has a witness, and who's doing the witnessing? An angel. I believe this fulfills Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, if you're taking notes, where it says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world and then the end shall come. Um, uh, We have a lot of good missionaries. We have the Gideons, uh, worldwide ministry, but there's still corners and pockets and places where people have never heard the gospel. But what if an angel heralds it and it's understood in their language? Here it says, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and then the end shall come. So this is towards the end of the beginning of the last three and a half years where the Lord has um, the gospel being proclaimed. Ordinary people, um, turn with me to Acts chapter four, and let's look at Peter and John. Acts chapter four, it was a man who was lame, and Peter and John were going into the temple, and he was a beggar, and so Peter and John walked by, and he goes, alms, alms, and um, Peter looks at him and and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and starts walking around. Everybody knew this guy. He was there every day in the same place, and everybody had to walk by him. So it was a notable miracle that had taken place. Well, what happened is... um, Um, Peter preaches to the Sanhedrin in chapter four and um, verse eight says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, verse eight, "If, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he was made well? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, um, by him this man stands here before you. This is a stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pause and let's do a reality check. Do you realize as time goes on and our government becomes more and more corrupt, 
um, the scapegoats happened to be top of the charts who's on top of the charts. Well, people that are pro-abortion, um, or pro-life, I should say, and you guys. Why you guys? Well, you're so narrow-minded. I mean, you're saying that Jesus is the only way? What about all these other religions? Well, it says here that there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And as a result, you are being marginalized. You will be hated just because you are a Christian. And you can say, well, you can not like me if you want to, but I can't change what God's word clearly says. Good place for an amen. Yeah, but what kind of men were they? Well, they were smelly fishermen from the Galilee. Well, how do you know that? Next verse. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. The only thing that made them different is that they had spent three years, day and night, watching, observing the Lord. But what were their qualifications? Well, um, they were fishermen. There was no PhDs behind their name. They were ordinary men who were probably dressed up in their, their fishing garb. Now, my point with all this is in verse 13 is that they were ordinary people that God was using. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll tr- follow this a little bit farther. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 26 tells us, For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no flesh uh, would glory in his presence. And so here it clearly tells us that, um, let me give you an example with Peter before and after. Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 2. Actually, we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 1. Because Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell upon him. So this is before that. So if you're in Acts chapter 1, Judas had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Peter got thinking about it. And he remembered uh, a verse from the Old Testament And this is Peter, remember, the Holy Spirit had not fallen on everybody yet. So this is Peter again being Peter, sort of taking things into his own hands. And he says in verse 15, in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of them was about 120, and said, men and brethren, the scriptures have to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us, obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, those 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong, he burst out in the middle and his entrails gushed out. Ooh, pretty graphic. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language a kel dama, that is the field of blood. And then he actually quotes the Old Testament scriptures for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it, but let another fulfill his office. So, you know we're told not to lean upon our own understanding? This is what Peter's doing here right now. Is he right by quoting the scripture? Yeah. But what he does in verse 21, therefore these men who have 
accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, uh, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. We need 12. And so they proposed to Joseph called uh, Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts. Uh, show us which of these two have you chosen. Never give the Lord two options because he might have three in mind. <laughs> and so what do they do? They throw lots. In other words, they cast the dice. They went like this. Uh, if it's this number, then we'll pick this guy. If it's that number, then we'll pick that guy. Uh, to take part in the ministry which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and a lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And my point uh, here is you never hear about this guy again in the scriptures, not once. Who do you hear when Paul addresses his letters and his epistles? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was the Lord's pick. It wasn't any one of these two right here. Well, what's your point? Well, I want to give you a picture of being able to say the right things, and, um, but the necessity of what our verse is that we have in our study today, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Peter's intentions were good. Um, He quoted the scriptures correctly, but it wasn't God's choice. He was not yet fully empowered with the Holy Spirit. Well, now we have Acts chapter two. And it's nine o'clock in the morning, and this is the only time that um, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It was one of the feasts that was required to be at. And uh, they heard people praising God in somebody else's language and they understood it. This is the only place where the Holy Spirit is both heard and seen. It came in like a mighty rushing wind. But there was also cloven um, fire above their head. So it could be heard and it could be seen. And the unbelievers standing by began to mock and said, these guys are full of new wine. In other words, they're drunk. And now Peter, different from the day before, because now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words, for they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. That's the third hour. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now he's gonna quote Joel talking about this very day when the Holy Spirit comes and gives gifts to men. Sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men will see dreams. In other words, supernatural events will be taking place that only God can do. So we have um, um, this example here in Acts 2 um, and Peter speaking with boldness alright I'm going to do something that I've been wrestling with all week should I do this or should I not do this should I do it or not do this I have to tell you a personal story about me before and after I was saved gave my life to Jesus but I did not get rooted and grounded for the first couple of years And um, I'll come back to that in just a little bit. When I was in ninth grade, eighth grade, just about five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, my girlfriend at the time talked me into running for vice president of the student council. And um, the thing I didn't like about it is one of the requirements is you had to stand up and... um, State your case for why you wanted to be uh, vice president of the student council. 
So this letter I kept all these years. And um, I'm just going to read a paragraph only because Paul Cameron's aunt was who I was running against. Her name is Debbie Kimball. So I'll exaggerate just a little bit here. But when I got out there and I saw all of you out there, um, this is what it was like. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> Members of the fac- fa- faculty, uh, f- fellow students of Roosevelt Junior High, uh, before I started, I'd like to wish Debbie K- 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 Kimball uh, and Sally Winters um, for helping me. Um, and I got done, and uh, they made Charlie Brown DD for... <laughs> DD for VP, and this, this, this was my slogan that Debbie Hertzberg um, uh, helped me at the time. All right, that was done. That was over with, and I got down. I won, not because I was the most qualified. I was the least qualified, but I was popular because I was a point guard on a basketball team. And when you're in eighth grade, that's what really matters, Right? <laughs> I remember one of the teachers commenting, what do you think about the elections of the student council? Oh, I like all of them, except one. (laughs) I knew who she was referring to. And um, Debbie was much more qualified for me. I should not have been there. But I swore from that day on, never, ever, ever again will I ever do any public speaking. (laughs) Swart. That was it. I, I will not go through that again because I was, I was terrified. And I kept this all these years and I thought, should I go there? Well, yeah, and I'll tell, tell you why. You see, after that time, I accepted Jesus. And um, like I said, for the first couple years, um, I was not rooted and grounded. Um, hitchhiked a lot in those days. And um, I wrestled with the Lord. I got dropped off. I got picked up on Highway 80 coming back from the East Coast. And the guy that was giving me a ride didn't live on 80. He lived on Highway 8 in Indiana. And I was sleeping. And he didn't wake me up. And when I woke up, here I am, not on 80 anymore, but Highway 8 in Indiana, 2 o'clock in the morning. And the guy said, well, I live here. So I said, but... Highway 80 is way, way back there a couple hours. Two o'clock in the morning. So me and the Lord had it out. And it had everything to do with witnessing. I wouldn't witness. I wouldn't do any speaking. And my problem with becoming a Christian is I had made a deal with the Lord. I will take you as my Lord and Savior. But we have to have one thing straight here. None of this witnessing stuff. I know what Christians do. They witness. I don't do that. And they also, in some of these bigger crusades, they have some, some day I might have to um, be like Billy Graham or something or go to Africa, I don't know. But so the part of the deal is I want to be saved, but that's where we draw the line. I wrestled with the Lord because now hours go by. Not one car coming. And I finally said, all right, I give up. You get me a ride and I'll witness to the person whoever picks me up. (laughs) All of a sudden, a pickup truck pulls up. Uh, There was an Indian driving behind the wheel. He was drunker than a skunk. And um, I could have cared less and I just let it out. And I started telling him about Jesus and he has to know Jesus and better get your life right with Jesus. And um, um, that's where my, my argument um, came to an end. Well, I told you I'd get back to um, um, this story with this letter here. And I was baptized in water. And I was rooted and grounded in a good church. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And of course... I couldn't speak. 
And that's what Moses couldn't do. He was slow of speech. That was Jeremiah said, I can't talk. And what happened? Well, it's not by power. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. When I came up after being baptized, you couldn't shut me up. I witnessed to everybody and anybody. I wanted them to know it's not about religion, but it's about a personal relationship with a God who will give you perfect peace. He will fill you to overflowing to the point where it bubbles up here and it comes out here. And I don't have anything to do with it. And I'm saying this because I know there's some of you that are fearful of the very things that I'm talking about. I wanna um, challenge you just a little bit. Um, I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 as we begin to wind this thing up this morning. The main point that I'm trying to get across is a word of encouragement. To take a step of faith, make sure you've been baptized in the spirit, and I promise you, if you'll just take that step of faith and just open your mouth and begin to try to start a conversation with somebody about the Lord. Sometimes you'll get blown off and sometimes they say something like, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. And um, you can say, the Bible has a whole lot to say about what's going on in the world right now. And there will come a point in your conversation. I'm aware of it when I share with people. I'm aware of it when it, I'm up here. When, because I just stepped out in faith, the Lord has always been faithful to show up. And I can usually tell where the Holy Spirit kicks in after we read our psalm or whatever. So as we look at verse eight of 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about authority. Verse eight says, for even if I should boast somewhat about our authority, do you know that you have authority? You not only have authority, but you've also been commissioned, all right? So turn with me This will be our last verse we'll look at. Matthew chapter 28, referred to as the great suggestion. Do you have authority? Yes, if you're born again. But you not only have authority, but you've been charged. These are the last words in the the gospel of Matthew. And you've been commissioned. And here is the authority. Then Jesus, in verse 18, came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, what's he saying? I'm passing it on. I'm leaving and when I leave, I'm gonna send back the Holy Spirit and he's going to empower you just like he empowered Peter. Go therefore. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. You not only have the authority, but you have a commission, not a suggestion. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the ends of the earth. In closing, let me just say this. Don't worry about what men may think of you. When you worry about what people think of you, that tells me that you have a fear of man. Well, but rather, what does God think of you? Are you worried about what people are gonna think about you? Or are you concerned about what the Lord thinks? You know, I really don't care what people think of me. Don't take it personal. (laughs) I really don't. Uh, Did not Paul say that he was a fool for Christ? Some people will say, you're crazy, you're a fool. Yeah, well, that's exactly what Paul said. I'm a fool for Christ. You can't be.
be afraid of what people think. But we have authority, and um, I, want, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. How about you? More than anything else. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what people say about you or think about you. But every word is, is uh, being recorded. The Bible study today was a word of, word of encouragement to take that step of faith. And um, you have the Roman roads in your bulletin. Take it out, give it to somebody this week. We have God of Wonders. Um, some that came in, we'll have 500 more next week. But uh, let's read verse 20 uh, in your own minds and then teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And here's the good news. Lo, I am with you always. He's always with you. Even to the end of the age. And then it says what? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We know our inadequacies. We know our fears. And um, Lord, we thank you that you used people slow of speech and tongue like Moses and Jeremiah, myself included, and many here. And we pray, Lord, that we would um, realize that you've given us authority to speak boldly the gospel um, to whoever will hear. Especially, Lord, with the lateness of the hour, um, we don't want anybody to be lost and to go into this terrible period of time called the Great Tribulation. So I pray your word would not return void this morning. And thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us and that you'll be with us all the way to the end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.